who's ready to rock today, Fire Nation? JLD here, and welcome to episode 1846 of EO Fire, where I chat with entrepreneurs on fire seven days a week. And I have created four incredible courses that you can master productivity, accomplish goals, create funnels, and webinars with. That's over at eofire.com. And the best part is they're free. Now let's chat with today's featured guest, Daniel Crosby. Daniel, are you prepared to ignite? JLD, I bathed in gasoline and rolled in lint. <laughs> yes. I'm ready. <laughs> Daniel's a psychologist, fund manager, and New York Times bestselling author who applies the science of psychology to help people make better financial decisions. Daniel, take a minute, fill in some gaps from the intro and give us a little glimpse of your personal life. All right. So I am a failed psychologist who found his way into (laughs) asset management. Uh, I'm an Alabama native currently living in Atlanta, a proud proud Southerner who's trying to change perceptions and realities about the South and drag the deep South into the 21st century kicking and screaming. Uh, the, The work I'm most proud of is my writing. Uh, My book, The Laws of Wealth, just got named the best investment book of the year. Very psyched about that. Uh, And the the life goals I'm most proud of are a wife who's too good for me and three kids who are the reason I do all of this. Well, I'm excited to dive more into your journey because it does seem like you come from a very fascinating background and have a very exciting future ahead. But first and foremost, with all of what's been said thus far, what would you consider your area of expertise today? So my area of expertise is a field called behavioral finance, which is this strange intersection of investment decision making and human psychology. So it's a it's a weird little niche, but it's a very cool one. Can we as your average investor now that's just again, I'm talking to my about myself, the listeners. Can we do better than dollar cost averaging into index funds? So dollar cost averaging into index funds is an exceptional way to do it. And if you just never want to think about it, uh, you could do much, much worse than dollar cost averaging into index funds. I do believe that you can do better. Um, It takes a little work, and that's part of what I outline in part two of the laws of wealth. But for 99.9% of people who just don't care about this stuff, uh, but <laughs> but but need but you know but need to compound their wealth to retire, you could do uh, you could do much worse and not much better than dollar cost averaging uh, into index funds. What is the percentage of fund managers that fail to beat the market? Well, so it's it's a bit of a math problem, right? So I mean, any uh, any t- uh, fund managers are always going to underperform the market net of fees, right? Because I mean, it's just averages are averages. So you know, half of people will do better and half will do worse, and then when you add fees on there, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> they're going to do worse. So um, yeah, it it ends up being about thirty five to forty percent when you look over long periods of time, about thirty five to forty percent. Uh, but it's tough to pick those thirty five or forty percent, and there's low persistence. So people who've done well for a couple of years uh, tend to do poorly over the next couple of years. So it's very very tough to do, uh, which is why dollar cost averaging into index funds is not a bad not bad way to go. Yeah, I've heard something along the lines of it's actually best to bet against the five-star Morningstar funds because those are funds that have already done good in the past. So there's a higher chance they're going to do poor in the future as they kind of even out over the years. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the I say in my book, the one phrase that's always true in life and investing is this too shall pass. 
And so effectively what Morningstar does is codify the funds who have done well the last three to five years uh, and give them five-star ratings. But the research shows that funds that have performed well for the last three to five years tend to do poorly for the next three to five and vice versa. So in some ways, you'd uh, be better off buying funds that have done really crummy for the last three <laughs> to five years and not not buying five-star funds. Maybe a better way to put that would be to, to buy funds that have done crummy but actually have fund managers with a good track record because you at least want to be buying somebody who knows what they're buying something that knows what they're doing. Otherwise, you might just be buying a crappy fund with a crappy manager. Sure. Yeah. Not a not a shady fund, but one with a solid <laughs> <laughs> with a solid strategy that's just underperformed, been out of favor, right? Daniel, what don't we know about behavioral finance that as entrepreneurs we probably should? So, you know, in terms of sort of a value bomb here, one of the one of the messages that I try and scream from the rooftops is that you're not that great. And it's a hard it's a hard message to sell for all of the obvious reasons. Uh, and the fundamental problem that I'm up against is that God could not have created a worse investor that, than you or me, right? <laughs> I mean, humans, humans are perfectly wired to suck at this because we're wired for certainty and short-termism, uh, whereas being a successful investor requires risk and patience. And so then the other thing that we don't know is we don't know how to get good at this. Uh, because life and investing are all about embracing uncertainty, realizing that nothing is for sure, but going ahead and doing it anyway. So when you look at pursuits that are high skill, like chess or basketball, the way that you get good is by practice, you know, by repetition. Uh, but in markets, there's so much luck uh, that the way that you have to do it is just to tilt probability in your favor and avoid colossal screw ups. Uh, and so one of the best things that you can do is just recognize that you're just as flawed, just as biased, just as prone to fear and greed and all of these other negative emotions as the next guy and try and set up a process or a system that overcomes those things. Yeah, the best thing my father ever could have done was I was 14 years old. I come downstairs. He says, John, I've just set up a Fidelity investment account for you. I put in $1,000. That's your money invest as you want. Because I always had a little bit of interest in the stock market back then. I was reading some books. So I knew at least the language and I kind of understood, a, you know, the very, very fringes of it. And so, of course, you know, beginner's luck reigned. And I found this stock that in my mind, the psychology was, well, yeah, this stock was $1.25 um, six months ago. Now it's only 30 cents. Like, obviously, this <laughs> is going to be a great stock because it's going to go back up to where it was, right? Like, that was my mindset at 14 years old. So I bought it. And of course, what happens? It goes up to $2 in like two weeks. And my dad's like, what did you just do? And I'm like, well, obviously, I have an awesome system. And he's like, no, obviously, <laughs> you're super lucky. And I was proven wrong. And he was proven right over the next 23 years as I've gone on to <laughs> not replicate that in any way, shape or form in what I've done. So uh, something to think about Fire Nation, everything that Daniel just said, it is so true. No matter what it is in life, you're not that great. But also, this too shall pass. I love that phrase because it works when times are awesome and it works when times are horrible because this too shall pass. Now, Daniel, let's talk about one of those times for you that was horrible. And I want to talk about the lowest of the low. I want to talk about your worst entrepreneurial moment to date. Take us to that moment. Tell us that story. 
So the reason that I think this is a powerful anecdote is because I'm a believer that strengths overextended can become weaknesses. So my worst entrepreneurial moment was really sort of an outcropping of something that I did well as an entrepreneur. You know, I had been working in corporate America. I lasted all of 18 months uh, just miserable every step of the way, popping Tums and Advil all day just to make it make it through the day. So I break out on my own after about 18 months in corporate America. And one thing that I did really well was to launch with an anchor client. You know, I launched and I already had enough uh, enough revenue, enough sales that first day to be profitable, to keep the lights on and all of that. Uh, but the downside is that it made me soft. It made me complacent. Uh, and it let me get complacent about building a pipeline and growing your business because I was doing I was doing fine. Uh, and so about a year into that engagement with this anchor client, we had a disagreement about business ethics uh, and they ended up telling me to hit the bricks like that afternoon, like take your stuff and get out of here. Um, and this is in the throes of the Great Recession my wife had just quit her job to stay home with our, our brand new six-month-old baby girl, and I just felt like dirt. And I felt like everyone who had told me that I couldn't do this, and there were plenty of them, you know, because I had quit a lucrative consulting gig to, to jump out on my own. Uh, and lots of people had told me that, that, that I was an idiot to do this, especially uh, given where we were in the economic cycle. So I felt like everything that they had said was right. Uh, I felt like dirt. Uh, and, uh, you know, I learned a couple of lessons from that. It was scary as hell. But I, I learned three big lessons from that. Yeah, let's break those down. Yeah. So the first was don't let prudence turn into complacency. Don't let your being risk averse and, and smart uh, turn into laziness or complacency because that's what happened to me. Uh, the, the second thing that I learned is just what I was capable of. And I learned that you're capable of more scared uh, than you are fat, happy and rich. And so that really helped to ignite, if you will, my business. And then the third thing I learned is the, to, to not let lifestyle get in the way. You know, my ability to weather that storm was because I lived in a small, modest house and I drove a modest car and I didn't have my lifestyle turned up to the point that I couldn't weather the storm. So I think that's another thing that that entrepreneurs do is they they tar start to turn up their lifestyle commensurate with their their new earning. And then if you hit any bumps, which you will, uh, you're not able to weather those storms. And maybe you have to run back uh, for the security of corporate America. There are some great lessons to learn there, Fire Nation. A couple that I kind of want to pull out and expound upon is number one: good is the greatest enemy of great. Now, what does that mean exactly? It means when things are good and you're comfortable and you're in a comfort zone, that's going to maybe take a little bit of the hustle out of you, a little bit of the grind. And that's not a good place to be because things are never going to continue on as they've been. Things are always going to change in the economy. There's going to be pivots. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. And if you're just kind of like this fat cat sitting back saying, you know what? I'm resting on my laurels. Life is good then you're never going to get to that great point where you are on the ball, where you are eyes wide open, where you're making things happen. So just kind of recognize that. If you're one of those people where you are maybe in that comfort zone and you've been there a little too long, you know, look around. And then that last point you made, Daniel, I loved. Time is the number one slayer of entrepreneurs. Because Daniel, he was able to, or he didn't, increase the amount of money that he was spending commensurate to how much he was earning, 
he was able to weather the storm when it actually did turn sour. And a lot of entrepreneurs would have run out of time because they would have run out of money. And when you run out of time and you're no longer in the game, you can't win. Can a basketball player hit the winning game shot at the end of the game if they fouled out in the third quarter? No, they ran out of time. Can you take advantage of all the opportunities that are going to be presenting you, that are going to be presented to you when the economy does turn and things are bad if you're not actually in the game? No. And so many people, you know, when they make $500,000, they're living a $600,000 lifestyle. And then when they're making $2 million, they're living a $3 million lifestyle. And so as soon as things turn, as soon as there's one bad little blip, you know, it's all over for them because they haven't extended that runaway. They haven't given themselves the time that's needed to weather those storms that will come. Now, Daniel, just like you shared your worst entrepreneurial moments and really the details behind that, I want you to now share one of the greatest ideas that you've had to date. Like, what's that aha moment? Take us to that story. So when I launched, I was, I think, justifiably terrified. And I felt like the most logical response to that terror was to try and grab every dollar that I could. So at this point, I, you know, I, I, I had and I have sort of a diverse background. I have a PhD in psychology, but I've worked in finance. And so at this point, I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing psychological assessments. I'm doing blogging for pay. I'm doing writing, speaking on every topic under the sun, uh, doing therapy. Uh, if I got a call, I said yes to absolutely <laughs> everything. And it was the most disjointed and crazy operation. And, and I did okay. But my business took off the moment I truly specialized and went with the fact that niches make riches, right? So our experience of ourselves is complex and multidimensional. We know that we can do lots of things, but others experience us by categorizing us. And, and if you don't pop up, I learned, if you don't pop up uh, when they're thinking of that category, you're sunk. Uh, and so the irony is that it's only when I carved out the teeny tiniest, weirdest little niche uh, for, for myself that my phone really started to ring. So it's, cra it's crazy now because I travel a lot and I, I meet people on a plane and they go, you know, I tell them what I do and they go, that, that can't be a real job. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll tell you, I mean, that there's real money to be had in jobs that are so niche that people can't believe it. And my real success happened when I took that leap of going from being everything to everyone, which essentially made me nothing to no one right. uh, and, and just tried to be the expert in this strange, tiny little piece of the world. Now, in just one or two sentences, like how would you specifically define your niche? I'm an expert in the psychology of financial decision making. So I study how people make choices around money and how they screw it up. I kind of want to expound upon a couple of things that Daniel said, Fire Nation. Number one, I actually personally do believe that what Daniel did for a little while was the right thing because I did the exact same thing too when I first started with Entrepreneur on Fire is that I said yes to everything. And the reason why I said yes to everything, and I think some of the reasons why Daniel said yes to everything beyond the, the reason why he had to financially was because you know we had to find our niche. We had to really understand what we didn't want to do to find out what we really wanted to do and what we focused on. So I said yes to a lot of things at the beginning to learn that craft, to understand if there was opportunity there. And I think that's okay, but I think the whole time you're doing that at the beginning of your journey, you need to be saying, okay, this isn't working for this reason. This is working for this reason. Okay, this is something that I definitely want to bring on You know, somebody 
on my team that can specialize in this because they're good at this stuff. So saying yes to everything at the beginning is good, but with the idea that you are continuously honing and pruning down to what your niche is, because like Daniel said, the riches are in the niches. And the last point I want to make is how are referrals going to happen if people don't even know what you do? I mean, when people hear about what Daniel does in, in some other kind of conversation, the first person that comes to mind is Daniel because he's very clearly identified his niche and he stands for that. So how are people going to know what you stand for if you don't make it clear, if you don't really niche down and really make that a point so that when people are out there and they're having those conversations at dinner parties, cocktails, et cetera, they know who you are. They can refer you out rightfully so. So Daniel, in just one sentence, what do you want to make sure our listeners get from your aha moment? If you try and be everything, you end up being nothing. If you try and be everything, Fire Nation, you end up being nothing. I like to say that if you try to resonate with everybody and everything, you're going to resonate with nobody and nothing. So think about that. Now, what is the one thing, Daniel, that has you most fired up today? In my job heretofore, I have studied uh, natural stupidity, right? So there's, <laughs> there's, there's over a hundred different ways, there's over a hundred different psychological biases that folks like me have identified that you can make bad decisions about money. So being a student of, of natural stupidity, I'm now taking the opposite side and I'm actually fired up about artificial intelligence. So I'm, I'm actually going back to school um, next week. I start back to school at Georgia Tech to study art, uh, get a master's in AI, uh, because I think that it's honestly a steam engine printing press type of moment. Uh, so I'm fired up about combining AI with psychology uh, to help people make better decisions about love and investing and employment and everything under the sun. So I'm, I'm so daunted. I'm totally scared to death. And I'm so excited about Ugh, it. That's when you know it's right, Fire Nation, because all the magic happens outside of your comfort zone. And when you're in a position like Daniel is, to actually be able to spot a wave forming, get in position. So if you think Daniel's been dropping value bombs, Fire Nation, more are coming up in the lightning round when we get back from thanking our sponsors. If you've ever thought about owning a franchise, then you're not alone. But have you ever thought about owning a children's services franchise? If you love music, then School of Rock is a children's services franchise you should definitely check out. School of Rock owners love their business because they get to pass the torch of musicality to the new generation of musicians within their community and operate a profitable business at the same time. School of Rock is a network of over 200 locations and 25,000 students Students worldwide. The program gets kids up on stage and playing at real rock venues, in addition to taking them on tour, offering recording opportunities, and having them workshop with accomplished musicians. Entrepreneur Magazine even named School of Rock 2017's number one child enrichment program. Want to learn more? School of Rock has put together an exclusive download just for you. Visit franchising.schoolofrock.com. Contact the School of Rock team and tell them Entrepreneurs on Fire sent you. That's franchising.schoolofrock.com. Daniel, are you ready to rock the lightning rounds? I'm ready. What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? Lack of exposure. Uh, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial pursuits were sort of a euphemism for unemployment when I grew up. What is the best advice you've ever received? None of this matters uh, from a dear friend who was dying of cancer. 
What's a personal habit that contributes to your success? Listening to podcasts while working out because we don't give ourselves enough permission to learn and grow. Recommend one internet resource. www.unclaimed.org lets you find money that the government owes you from back taxes and other places had a had a client find $50,000. Come on, that's like the best thing ever unclaimed.org. Fire Nation, if you're listening to this and you actually go and you find anything more than $100, I want you to email me and let me know about it. And ha- In fact, email Daniel. Let him know about it. This would be fun. Give me 10%, 10% as your agent. 10% yeah. as a finder's fee for Daniel. And <laughs> recommend one book, Daniel, to share space on the bookshelf with your book. Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. Wonderful. And one more time, give uh, Fire Nation a call to action on your book and the quick, you know, 30-second description of it. So The Laws of Wealth, uh, just named the best investment book of the year, translated in Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese. You will not be disappointed. I think it's the best survey of investing and investing behavior out there. Boom. Is there an audio version of it? There's not yet. What? You're talking to a podcasting audience? You don't have an audio book available? Harriman House, take it up with my publisher, Harriman House. <laughs> <laughs> In the future, always retain audio rights, Daniel. That's where the money is anyways, brother. So let's end today on fire with a parting piece of guidance. The best way that we can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Parting guidance, write a book. Uh, I took this idea from Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman, who talks about how teaching a topic will make you learn, uh, learn it so much better yourself. It's a huge marketing tool, but even more than that, it will sharpen and refine your game. Uh, You can reach me on Twitter at Daniel Crosby. Check out my book, The Laws of Wealth, or check out my firm, Nocturne Capital. Love it all. And I'm actually looking at your book cover right now, and I'm kind of curious about this. So on the left-hand side of it, it's a stoplight, red, yellow, green. On the right-hand side, this is my interpretation. I have no idea if it's the right one, so we'll talk about it for a second. I see gold, a gold circle. I see a circle of some form of U.S. currency, maybe a $100 bill, I think, actually. And then what I think looks like 1830 in white with a blue background. What are those things? So it's gold, a dollar bill, and a stock ticker. What is the meaning behind the stoplight on the left-hand side? So the stoplight is uh, sort of a, a visual representation of laws. I, when I spoke to my publisher, I said, no, uh, no pictures of brains or no pictures of, you know, stacking dollars <laughs> to the sky. No charts going up and to the right forever. There's all these cliches with investment books. Totally. Awesome stuff. And Daniel, I want to say that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And you are too, Fire Nation. And you've been hanging out with D.C., and JLD today. So keep up the heat and head over to eofire.com. Just type Daniel in the search bar and his show notes page will pop up with everything that we've been talking about today. These are the best show notes in the biz. Timestamps, links galore. And Daniel, thank you for sharing your journey with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Hey, Fire Nation, hope you enjoyed our chat with Daniel today. And if you're ready to accomplish that one big goal, visit thefreedomjournal.com. Accomplish that one goal in 100 days and you'll be on fire. Oh, and use promo code podcast as a little thank you for listening to my podcast. I'll catch you there, Fire Nation, or I will catch you on the flip side.